Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. We're joined by Robert Smith, the Director of the Department of the Navy's SBIR and STTR programs. Robert, thanks so much for taking the time to join us at the ACT-IAC Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference in Cambridge, Maryland. Well, I thank you and appreciate the time you're giving me to talk about SBIR, STTR, uh, innovation, the Navy, uh, challenges, successes, kind of bring them on. Let's have some how about conversation? All right. I'm also joined by, obviously, my colleague Tom Tamman of the Federal Drive. That's right. We love all things naval. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Let's start with the beginning. We know that the SBIR program and STTR program has been in, in the news, specifically last year when the Congress was, well, they won't they renew it. They finally renewed it. Obviously, good news for, for you and your colleagues who, who run these programs. So where is the Na- Department of Navy today? What, what, what's the latest with you all with your SBIR program? You know, I'd say... First off, exceptional news, the Congress uh, reauthorized the program on the last day before it would, would expire, giving us three years and some uh, instructions and directions on how to continue and to improve this program. So a lot. Uh, thank God for Congress. They really do support the program, but they also brought to our attention some things that needed to be addressed and worked on. And it's interesting, SBIR will be the lead for the rest of DOD 5000, the rest of acquisition. So, you know, the good thing is we're innovative. We know how to do the business of innovation better than anyone else. And we'll find the best way forward to accomplish. We'll get into more of it, but the due diligence program that uh, we're getting established there. Yeah, what did they want you to fix and how will you fix it? The biggest thing was, hey, we've got bad actors within our system. We need to be doing better at finding them early, expelling them from the program, and make sure they don't come and steal American innovation. Our enemies are exceptionally good at theft. They're not so good at innovation. And they'll use our rules and regulations against us. So it's really hard to be an open and transparent world when our enemies aren't open, transparent, where our enemies will use our own rules against us. They'll collect our intellectual property. They'll buy our intellectual property. They'll put it on the shelf so someone else can use it, or they'll manipulate it and just outright steal it. The one thing about that, there's also a lot of concern about SBIR mills, you know, companies that just win money, win money, win money. And I think that's the other thing Congress had asked you to do is, is put some, if you will, guardrails around how many words someone could win and how much commercialization can happen. Is that, this is that's part of that due diligence that you're starting to do? It's always been there. It was been there at the previous reauthorization to uh, we had performance benchmarks to eliminate the mills. And unfortunately, we didn't have a, enough of a conversation for folks to understand that's no longer the case. It uh, hasn't been for many years. Are there companies that have a lot of phase twos? Absolutely. But no one asked about how's their phase three record. No one asked about how they're still solving our problems day to day. And Every one of those companies followed the rules. How can you fault them for following the rules, doing the way the things they want it done in the federal government? And I, the customer, went to them because they had the best approach to solving my technical challenge. So how can that be wrong? And let me ask you about something that's not mills, but are legitimate small businesses. Many of them were attending the IAC conference where we were speaking, and they are spin-offs of having worked in the government, perhaps, or work 
for some of the large prime contractors. They know the rules. They're legitimate. They are 8As often and or one of the uh, disadvantaged categories. But they're not really new to the market in that sense and not necessarily bringing fresh innovation from the outside. And ultimately, that's the goal. I mean, that's the Navy's strategic need is innovative answers to a very dangerous world, you know, the post-carrier world, if you will. How do you aim the program to really bring that innovation level in? That's a great example of the emblematic problem we have in the federal government. It's so complex for folks to work with. it. You almost have to be an insider to understand how to work within that. How you get around that, how to, you don't get around it. How do you eliminate it is you've got to work with these companies and help them understand how to participate. Get them early. Explain all of the varied and vast and free resources out there between the federal government with the, uh, the apex accelerators, uh, local uh, state resources to help them what it means to work with the federal government. So, yes, a previous federal employee is going to have a, a leg up on the process, but they still have to come to the game with innovation. Sure. i got to tell you, the thing is, that's a great team. Give me that young, naive entrepreneur, innovator, that has a great idea. Team them with this old, grizzled, I've been around uh, the federal government, I know how to work things person. And between the two of them, we get the something delivered. Uh, and it really does take that. The beauty of the SBR program is you're talking three to five, sometimes seven years of, it takes to do technology development to create that overnight success, years in the making. During the time that they're doing that technology development, those two young people in their dorm room, in true stories, in their garages, have time to grow that two-person company into that 20-person software company, that 200-person material deliverer to get those relationships to guess what? Maybe they're the prime and their sub is one of our primes because they have the ability to manufacture and deliver, but they don't have the technology. And what's your outreach technique to identify those companies in the first place so then they can get scared away, but at least they know you're there? Uh, talk, talk, talk. Uh, one of the things the Navy has, has uh, created is what we call tech bridges, which are physical locations outside the gate. We're teamed with the local ecosystem. So we've got those that already know the region, uh, working with the Navy who knows what's inside the fence, knows what the Navy needs, so we can have that conversation. They're connectors of folks, so we ha get that conversation started, help them along the way. I really want to reach that sophomore in college today that is working. I'm not sure which degree I need them to have, be it electrical engineering or dance, but they're going to come away with, I have an idea of doing it differently. And I remember this conversation in class by my professor who had been working on an STTR about, did you know there's $4 billion in the federal government ready to pay you to proceed with that, that innovative thought and bring it to market? And 10 years from now, hopefully she'll come up, shake my hand, and talk about how she got started in the SBR STTR program. Those tech bridges, are they located around the country? Are they located in certain hotspots? Silicon Valley, of course, but also Austin and Boston and, and places like that. Do you know how the Navy, the Department of Navy is looking at the, this? You know, the, the Navy has ours 
keyed to where we have our uh, some of our Navy laboratories at our warfare centers. So they're not keyed so much to the, the, the Boston's and the Austin's, although we have outposts and folks there, but mostly they're they're connected with a laboratory. And so they'll usually have that, that key strength. I'm a I'm an underwater specialist. I'm an uh, unmanned specialist. So they have those different conversations, but they have ability to say, hey, you may be talking to a tech bridge in San Diego, California, but I need to connect you with the folks up in Newport, Rhode Island. They're not always going to have the answer, but they're charged to find out who does. When you talk about SBIR and SDTR, what are some of those areas, uh, for instance, we know that you all put out a series of, hey, this is what we're looking for. These are some of the, the innovations we're hoping to find. Uh, have you put out a, a new request recently, or what's the request for 2023 look like? Great, great lead-in, because as we speak, the 23.2 slash B solicitation is on the street. It's in the open period, and I always forget the dates, but it's open now in May. May to the middle of June. The open period is when you can ask that technical point of contact, the author of that topic, that demand signal, exactly what were they asking for in the topic. Or the way I always like to put it is, who doesn't want to talk to the customer? Okay, so reach out, contact them, and, and learn about it. If you're not quite ready to put in a proposal, it's still a good time to learn about what we're looking for, where the Navy is progressing uh, with its technology needs. Um, we have pretty much three standard solicitations a year, all on our website, by the way, NavySBIR.com. And well, we, we will make sure we link to that on okay. federalnewsnetwork.com yeah. as well and make, make it easy on yeah. folks. So, so this is standard solicitation two. The, the next one should come out roughly in the fall? Correct, in the fall, although we will have our open topic yeah. uh, as required by the reauthorization of the program. Uh, it will get released this coming June. Okay. Now, the Navy, I like to put it this way, there are, there are traditional standard topics. You'll find those in the 23.2 slash B. Two connotes an SBIR. B connotes STTR, two, two different ways. And that's normally us saying, we already know what our problem is. This is what we need you to solve. We need you to make this better, this faster. We need you to propose how you're going to create unobtainium. Not quite that far, but we want you to help progress the technology. So it's usually us with the conversation. With the open topic, we're going to at least say, hey, we're interested in AI, ML. We're interested in ways to make maintenance easier for our sailors and Marines. Tell us how you would take your commercially available technology and quickly, rapidly adapt it for military use. So we're going to do it quicker. We're going to do it faster. And hopefully you're going to deliver even that much faster than the traditional way we go forward. And how do you get your signals from the Navy as to what specifically they might need? Literally, it's part of the conversation, uh, and it's right from the, the deck plate where the sailors and Marines are talking to us to the, the fleet and force admirals and generals going, I've got a problem, you need to work on this, to where acquisition says, I'm already working on what they asked for, I need to make it better before I deliver it. Because there's a big footprint of Navy laboratories and test facilities, and you go out into some pretty remote areas in the country and way down by the beach or down in the middle of the woods, they're testing some device. Yes. And you, you got to know what's already there. Correct. Well, NavySBR.com also has a search engine, so you can look at every topic we've ever awarded. 
And when you do that, you get two really important pieces of information. The tech point of contact that had that topic, you can reach out and still talk to them. How did how is the progression going for your technology? The other one is you get the company that got the award. How was it to work for the Navy? Were you guys good partners? Do you enjoy you know, working with the Navy? And most of the time, hopefully, they're going to say, great partners, we're still working strong at it. And by the way, with respect to some famous tech companies where people didn't want to do military work, do you find in general that's not really the population's attitude? No, no, because industry is truly uh, patriotic to America because they want to help out. There's always going to be the drive for profit. Welcome to the American system. But time and again, I've heard from folks going, I would love to help the DOD, the Navy, the Marine Corps do their job. And we all want to, you know, the whole thing at the end of the day is, did we help bring them home safely? Or did they keep the enemy from winning? There you go. Well, you know, it's an old uh, admiral whose name I forget right now, but the way he put it is, I just want them to think that today is not the day. Don't even start the fight because you're not going to win it. We have to take a break. My guest today is Robert Smith, the director of the Department of the Navy's SBIR and STTR programs. I'm also joined by Federal Drive anchor Tom Temin. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Robert Smith, the director of the Department of Navy's SBIR and STTR programs. I'm also joined today by Federal Drive anchor Tom Temin. One of the things about SBIR, of course, is you mentioned how many got to phase three. And then a lot of people say, well, between phase two and you know phase three is the valley of death and, and the challenge of getting people to commercialization. Can you talk a little bit about how the Navy goes through it and how, what are you all doing to kind of address that issue of valley of death as much as anybody else? Or how are you looking at whether the Army is doing it or the Air Force or whomever? How are you trying to address those, that big challenge? Well, R&D. R&D. Rip off and deploy. <laughs> so if someone else has got a great practice, we'll, we'll take it, we'll use it, we'll go with it. I tend to shy away from valley of death. I like to talk about it as chasms of challenge because there's a lot of little things that get in your way. You, you know sooner you knock down that domino and another one gets in your way. So you're, there's always a little something else you got to learn. Oh, I didn't go to school for contracting. I didn't get my Juris Doctor, so I'm not a lawyer or work the government. So all of these little things, if you don't get them lined up, I like to say is let's talk about who we need to get to the table to get to yes before we even start. Or eyes wide open, someone's missing, but I've got three quarters of the group that agree to it. Let's get started realizing one of us, two of us need to go get that other party and bring them to the table and get them to yes. So basically what's missing when you talk about, okay, how do we get to commercialization? How do we get you a phase three award or out of phase three into commercialization? Who's missing from that conversation? That's what you're trying to bring together. Make sure the, the right people are at the right, right table to help make the right decisions. Well, for instance, with our topics, we've always, we always ask the question up front before the topic gets into a solicitation. What happens if it works? <laughs> and people go, huh? What happens if it works? Where is it going to go? Is it going into that platform, that system? Are you going to hand it directly to the Marines or the sailors? Who's going to pay for it? Are they interested? Do they want it? So at least we're having the conversation. I'm not committing them to a, con- uh, a legal binding agreement, but at least we're talking to each other to make sure I'm working on something that if it works, they're going to want it. Or if it's an OTA acquisition, how do we scale it to production? Correct. Possibly with the same company, which is doable. Correct. And there you go. And help this company grow to where they can deliver at scale. 
true story, case in point, had a, uh, a really successful phase two. And the government was talking to the young man, the, uh, the entrepreneur, and says, we love it. Okay, we need 100 of them uh, in the next three months. Can you give me 1,000 by the end of the year? The kid gets kind of quiet, kind of looks down at his feet. And he looks up and goes, you don't understand. Mom doesn't sew that fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we have a program uh, called STP, uh, acronym SBR-STTR Transition Program. And one of the questions we ask them up front is what happens if you succeed? Do you realize half those small businesses won't raise their hands? They haven't thought of that. They're so wrapped up in doing the research, they haven't thought about what those next steps are. And they need. And I say, congratulations, you're behind. Can you talk, uh, and, and we'll put you on the spot maybe for a second here, and, sure. and ask about what are some of those things that the Navy has funded that now has turned into full-fledged programs or projects or, or really taking the, the technology that you were using up a notch? Anything, any good examples come to mind of successes? Of course, I can't think of the company right now. Uh, well, iRobot okay. started as a Navy SBIR firm working on, on systems to support the explosive ordnance disposal people. It was nice to send the robot out front, not the person. They spun out that division so they could focus on vacuum cleaners, but they started as an SBIR firm. Qualcomm started as a firm. Your cell phone, half of the components in it came from SBR firms. The famous ones, of course, are like Pixar from Disney. There's, there's a whole lot of great it's examples. Not yeah. it's not, NASA. Well, um, I have a small uh, business, uh, still a small business uh, called, uh, name is Hydronolux. They're in Arizona. They create a system called EMILY, E-M-I-L-Y, Emergency Integrated Landard System. EMILY is essentially a remote control lifeguard. So you send Emily where the boat can't come to the shore and it's too dangerous for the lifeguard to go out. Emily saves about a person a day somewhere around the world, uh, deployed in countless countries. That technology started off as an STTR in the Navy. In, in case of folks are confused, SBIR and STTR, there's the differences. One is innovation research. Correct. And one is technology transfer. Well, it, well it, see, they, explain it a little bit it, better, well, just in case. Uh, then I have to be—I have to get mad at Congress for. Uh -oh. So we have the Small Business Innovation Research Program, and you have STTR, Small Business Technology Transfer Program. The only difference is STTR requires the SBIR firm to have a research institution as a partner. Okay. So they're still developing technology. They're not transferring any technology. They're actually working as a team to deliver the technology. I appreciate that. And before we let you go, uh, how do you see the Navy's program kind of continuing to evolve? Are, are there certain things that, that you hope, you know, if we, if we continue this conversation a year from now, five years from now, whatever it is, that what you're doing today differently is different than what you did yesterday and the day before, meaning how, how you find vendors, how you work with them, where, where are you heading? What's the evolution look like? To be honest with you, as I hear the Navy talk about how we need to move quicker, we need to, to work with these companies, that we need to develop things, I really think what they need to look at is to scale the SVR program. We've proven that we can do things quickly. We've proven we can work inside the budget cycle. We've proven that if you need it, we American industry can deliver. But give me more than 3.2% of the extramural research dollars and we, we can do more. The Navy has five next year. It'd be great. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, you know, we have an exceptional phase three. 
we broke $1.1 billion in phase three dollars last year. That's twice as much as money we have in the program. So we know how to transition the technologies. Let's just uh, give it more and push it over, you know, push it on. And I think the way technology is moving, the way things are progressing, the more is, is you know, in this case, better because it really is delivering really important technology to the Navy and to other parts of the military for sure. That's right. In the next conversation we're going to have is how we use SVIR to build, test, build. To? Build it, uh-huh. test it, build it. So yeah. let's get it in the hands of the sailors and the Marines. And guess what? We need to move the knob here. We need to change things. Can you add this to it? Will it do this? And you'll be amazed at the innovation that occurs by just iterating that technology in the hands of the user. Robert, we really appreciate your time. This is very fascinating. It's always good to catch up on on this program because it's very important not just to the Navy, but obviously to the military and to the nation itself. Robert Smith is the director of the Department of the Navy's SBIR, STTR programs. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having the time. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure having you, yeah. Joined by Tom Temin of the Federal Drive as well. We have to take a break. When we return, we will continue to talk about the SBIR and STTR programs. My guest will be Raj Sharma, the founder and CEO of the Public Spend Forum. He joins me to talk about new data showing the value of these programs. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and my guest today is Raj Sharma the founder and CEO of the Public Spend Forum. Raj, thanks for taking the time. Great to catch up again. Hey, Jason. Great to see you again. We are today are talking about the Small Business Innovation Research Program and STTR, Small Business Technology Transfer Program. These two programs have gotten a lot of focus over the last few years, specifically, probably not for the right reasons, because Congress potentially was going to end those programs after 40 plus years. They have not, and they they are back up and going. But you all at the Public Spend Forum did a big data dive. So let me start there. What did the data tell you? Why did you go and start to take this deep dive into uh, SBIR and STTR? First of all, uh, we're thankful that Congress didn't cancel such an important program because, uh, as our report shows, close to 10,000 companies have been brought in, emerging, innovative, amazing companies have been brought in through the program. And, and so it's really important that those channels stay open. So our data, what it tells us why we, first of all, undertook this report is there's been analysis done, but uh, nobody's looked at it one by technology areas. So what types of technologies and problem sets are we funding? So we set U.S. national economic policy, national security policy based on technology areas, right? We see a number of those, but nobody's looking at how are we aligning investments in a very detailed way. So that to us was the one fundamental question. How is technology and these investments aligned to solve problems and aim our policy objectives, number one. And number two was looking at success stories and we're still diving deep into that to say, what are types of successes? How do we replicate those more? So we'll be diving deeper, but we can discuss that today. Number three is also where are regional clusters of innovation happening. That's an important one through the CHIPS Act, for instance, where there is going to be a number of innovation hubs funded soon. So where are those innovation clusters beyond the obvious, right? The cities, the big cities, the Bostons, the Austins, the Silicon Valleys, where are those emerging clusters so we can also drive equitable growth across the country? And so those were the three fundamental things we were looking for uh, to answer. 
generally was this data available or did you have to really go into the the depths of the federal procurement data system ask dod ask nasa and others how did you come across this information because i think a lot of people would like to know what's the impact of the sbi or sttr programs and, and i'm not sure that that information was easily found previously Yes, Jason, I think that's absolutely the problem. So Public Spend Forum is focused on creating market transparency and supply chain transparency. Unfortunately, FPDS and some of these public data systems don't give you a lot of data. And and so if that was our approach, no wonder people haven't gotten too far. So definitely SBIR data. We've coupled that with our thousands of data sets that we've compiled over time. So for instance, we have data sets on regions. We have data sets on venture capital. We have data sets on uh, what's happening uh, with companies. So very detailed information in terms of what companies are doing. So these are all data sets compiled through public, private, but also we self-generate and also crowdsource data. So that's how we've come up with the data set. All right, well, let's jump right into the data. What were some of the findings uh, that that's our most interesting? We, of course, uh, will link to the full report on federalnewsnetwork.com, but what stood out to you? What surprised you? What do you think is most interesting about the, some of the, this data you found? In the executive summary, there's a one pager. So there's a longer version of the report as well, but the one we released the other day, there's a few uh, insights that we've talked about. First of all, the program has grown uh, over the past few years from approximately 2.8 billion in 2018 to 3.7 billion now, which is great. So there's a tremendous amount of growth. One interesting finding was that, you know, we're seeing at a, without the category level view, Cyber Phase 2 funding has increased 37%, while Cyber Phase 1 funding has stayed about the same. And why that matters if you don't know the Cyber program, Phase 1 are smaller investments, lots of, let's say, bets like venture capital makes on experiments and, and prototyping and initial research. And then from phase one, you take technologies or, or those experiments and say, okay, can we commercial, uh, Can we actually further develop them into phase two? So I think that's a good sign that phase two has grown to, by 37%. That means more of those technologies are being funded to grow, right? And to further develop. And then we are looking at even phase three commercialization because that's the ultimate where some of the criticism of the program has come in is are we actually taking these and making them programs of record, for instance, some of these technologies. And and so we are documenting that, but but that's one good thing that we saw. In terms of where the money's being funded, I personally was actually surprised when I saw biotech and medical technology by far about 6.5 out of the 17 billion over five years. So from 2018 to 2022, there were about $17 billion in initial awards made for CIBR. Of that, CIBR and uh, STTR, 6.5 billion approximately was towards biotech and medical tech. So that's a huge, huge amount. And we were surprised, but maybe we shouldn't be because a lot of funding goes into medical research, right? Drug development, et cetera. And that's what we saw. Drug and vaccine development is a big area that, where there's funding. And then after that, some other categories like manufacturing related. We know that's a focus of the administration and growing the manufacturing sector and also in DOD, et cetera. So there were about $3 billion collectively that's going towards manufacturing type initiatives. So that was great to see. And then there are a number of other ones like 
energy, of course. We were surprised with a couple of other ones like microelectronics not being as large, but we see the growth coming in those areas because there's so much focus in that. So that was number two. And then a couple of other things uh, to point out. You know, one of the most interesting things, Jason, that we looked at was great technology investments. We always talk about that. We're, but we also know technology, we invest in it because we're trying to solve some problem. But So we need to better understand what problems are we trying to solve, right? So that's one of the deeper questions. So I was, you know, I was, it was interesting to look at some of the information that we gleaned through our AI approach. So we use a lot of our AI algorithms that are built, built over time to help us glean some of these answers. So for instance, just give you one or two examples First of all, aerospace, defense, medical tech, manufacturing type are uh, big areas of investment. The types of use cases, so if we take manufacturing, smart factory automation, right? That's a very specific type of use case. So looking at whether it's at the depot level and other places, how can we do a factory automation? That's, and that's, that's, an, and that's a use case. In medical tech, drug and vaccine development is a huge focus, as I mentioned. In aerospace and defense, Intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, huge area of use case, right? And then you look at the technologies below that. So those are some of the findings. I can go deeper, of course, as well. And I think the other area I'd like to talk about is the regional view. Uh, so when we get to that. You mentioned phase one, phase two funding, and I think that, that was also something that stood out to me, just the amount of money mm -hmm. going into it. But one thing that I was looking for was the phase three discussion. So you said you mentioned the phase three discussion is something you're still working through right now, or is that something that's a, a separate research project? Yes, no, uh, absolutely. That's such an important one. And again, some of the data issues there, right? Phase three is there's no official phase three per se, right? So you can move from phase two. And then after that, in agencies, it's not funded through congressionally appropriated funds for cyber, right, anymore. So then you can line up funding. But phase three it's a little bit more difficult because sometimes companies may go out and get a contract, an IDIQ contract, and it might be a follow-on from the work that's been done through phase two, but it's not easy to find the relationship between the two things. So we're working on that. The second thing is there are contracts that are clearly labeled phase three, but there are fewer. So we would undercount a lot. And I think that's one of the issues when we start criticizing or making critiques about without real data behind it. And, you know, my background is data, 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 data. And, and so I'd like to sit here and, and say that it's good or bad, but I won't make that. And I don't think policymakers should be making decisions without really good evidence behind them. So I think that question, Jason, is, being, is, is still to be answered. But I will say this. Some of our initial findings, right? If there, there's a slide in here where we looked at how many companies get capital private capital after, if they're first funded by a SIBR? It's an interesting question that we actually had in Eleanor White House discussions as well. So is government R&D funding helping companies raise money? And so then they can get private capital because government isn't going to fund everything. So we found out of the 10,000 companies, I'm looking at the slide, slide 22, if you're looking at the report, anyone, 655 companies now, a lot more got funded, by the way, private capital out of the 10K, but 655 of them first got SIBR funding and then got private capital. Now, is, is the SIBR the reason they got private capital? We're not sure, but I think that's a good thing to know, right? That a company got SIBR 
And then they got private venture capital. They went to somebody in uh, some, let's say, venture capital firm and said, hey, look, we got a SIBR and that's a validation. Help us get more money and funding behind. So I think I think there are these positive signs that are coming out. And but we're going to kind of refrain from fully commenting on that. I definitely think that's a area of interest among not just Congress and agencies, but I think of the private sector. Is this really valuable? Am I just getting money to develop technologies? And then where are they going? What's the impact, as you said, how are they solving problems? One of the other areas I just want to and touch upon. Jason, if I, could, if I could just touch on, if, if you don't mind, if I could just touch on that. I think, I think it's really important that if, if you're private sector venture capital, right, you need to look at the super program as part of a validation, right? Because there's an amazing amount of team and people working on the super sitter program across the government. And they're putting a lot of rigor behind selecting companies and experiments, right? So there, it is a stamp in some ways, at least as a starting point. So it's a validation that, hey, there's that one, there's use cases out there. So there's a demand, right? That's what any venture capital, anybody funding initiatives wants to know, right? Is there, is there demand behind this problem? And then two, is there a potential solution? So I think it's a validation. Then obviously any VC or anyone is going to do their own due diligence, right? And I think same thing for companies. Companies should be looking, if you're a, a you know, dual-use company or looking at potential solutions that you can bring to government, you should look at other companies and what types of use cases have been funded and see, can you also help address those, right? And I think that's also important because we need more innovators coming into the system. Raj, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is Raj Sharma, the founder and CEO of the Public Spend Forum. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Raj Sharma, the founder and CEO of the Public Spend Forum. Today, we're talking about the SBIR STTR programs. The Public Spend Forum released new data on the SBIR and STTR programs. And you mentioned the categories and, you know, I guess biotech and medical technologies is, was less surprising to me. But what stood out was the obviously the AI autonomy and then also the space areas. Again, probably not surprising that these were very popular areas, but what does it tell you when you went through the categories uh, and what does it tell you about where the focus, what can people take from this, whether contractors or other agencies, about where the prioritization or where the, where the excitement is among uh, agencies for investment in SBIR and STTR? Yeah, and I think this is the, the, the fundamental question we started with, right? And we saw there was a need for this kind of deep dive by categories and by technologies and use cases. I think the areas we see, right, they're, they're on slide 11. We highlight trusted AI and autonomy grew by 248%. That kind of makes sense, right? AI plus autonomy, drones, et cetera, right? Electric vehicles, you see a lot of investment in autonomy, right? So the combination of the two, that's 248%. That was the highest growth we saw in any category, right? Number one. Then space grew by almost 100%. And that makes sense too. We see a lot of activity right now with the Space Force being stood up and a lot of really great initiatives coming out of NASA. We're actually doing some work with Air Force Research Labs on space. And I think you see a lot more activity there. So, And then robotics and advanced manufacturing. I think there's a number of reasons for that. One, we want to build a manufacturing sector right here, but also there's a, a skill, a talent issue, right? We don't have as many people in manufacturing and it's not going to be easy to find those people. 
So, so robotics and advanced manufacturing also becomes one way to do that. But if we also want to bring back manufacturing from China and other places, we need to manage costs, right? The labor cost is higher here. So automation technologies are going to help with that. So those are some of the areas that we see a lot of growth and it's exciting. In many ways, the focus on, as you said, AI autonomy space, it's almost to be expected. Were there any areas that you were, that maybe didn't get as much attention about from terms of the big numbers, but you were maybe surprised by how much it, it did grow? When I, for instance, look at the, the, the different areas, there's a lot of money being spent on clean energy makes sense. Microelectronics, you mentioned, is one area that maybe didn't grow as much as you thought it would. Quantum is, is, isn't as big. Financial isn't as big. But any of the areas that you said, oh, that, that I expect to be the next wave of growth. Well, I think one interesting area, just because of, I think, what's happening with climate and all the, all the things you see lately, right, whether it's storms coming in and everything, right, just more and more, let's say, climate events happening. The natural disaster mitigation tech you know, we see some growth in that area. There's some interesting use cases, and I, I need to dive deeper into that myself. But we say, you know, if, if you were to ask us where are we seeing some growth, I think that's one probably not so obvious and not always talked about. But there's some interesting technology, for instance, natural disaster, you know, whether it's, um, you know, supply chain risk technology that helps you predict, hey, there's a disaster happening somewhere. How do you manage uh, right, your supply chain, or for emergency preparedness or responding, there are sensors and drones, right, Dr uh, sensors being dropped from zones into disaster areas, right, to, to get a scan of the entire area and see what's going on. And, and so I think you're going to see more, you know, in some ways, unfortunately, because the number of disasters is increasing and events are increasing. So I think that was one area that I saw, and, and we see more happen. Just as I think not not something that's talked about enough. I want to shift the conversation over to the the other piece that that's uh, I thought stood out to me was around which agencies are spending on SBIR STTR awards. Of course, the Department of Defense is leading every agency eight point one billion out of that seventeen billion you all looked at. And HHS, it makes sense giving the pandemic over the last few years as well, but. You know, it looks like energy, NASA, National Science Foundation, all big spenders. Uh, were you surprised or what did it tell you about kind of the, the spend trends that you're seeing among agencies and, and how they're investing in these R&D areas? I think some were obvious, like you already mentioned, right? But then other areas like, you know, energy, definitely there's a little bit more diversification, right? It's not just about Department of Energy, right? DOD obviously has a massive uh, asset base in terms of equipment, et cetera, plus an install installation based, right? Facilities, et cetera. So, so I'm not surprised there's, um, you know, DOD is a big part of energy uh, and there's obviously a lot of collaboration between Department of Energy and, and Department of Defense. I think another area where we see more diversification was around, I was surprised a little bit around robotics, automation and advanced manufacturing. So DOD definitely still dominates with, uh, based on our data, around 60%. But, but then you have a number of other agencies with significant uh, focus there as well, whether it's Department of Energy or NASA. For instance, around robotics and advanced manufacturing, NASA is looking at you know, different methods of installation and manufacturing in space, right? 
Um, so there's a bit of work going on. We actually were involved in some of it in some of our deep tech analysis there. So I think those are a couple of areas. I would mention one other area that, again, may not be surprising to people, but space technology. Who would you guess, Jason, should be, what would be the natural answer, right, on space tech? Who's, who's the number one funder? Of course, you think it's NASA. Yeah, but, but it turns out DOD is the bigger funder, right? And then NASA is definitely, so they, they both together collectively make up for about 95, 96% of that total there. So, so I think it is interesting also, especially if you're companies, right? I think both ways. If you're a government, what we found is we don't know if you're a program manager on certain technology, who else is working across the government on it? So I think that's the insight we want to give through use cases and say, who else is working on the same use cases? You should be collaborating with them, right? Because these are hard problems and you need people to come together to solve them. Number two, on the, on the company side, it's the same thing. If you are a company that has a potential solution, one of the biggest challenges is knowing where all the other use cases are, right? So even if I get one funded, let's say, and I get some agency to fund it, the, one of the biggest issues in the valleys of depth, uh, the valley of depth discussion is the lack of visibility on use cases and demand, right? So if a program manager in DOD funds some technology, great. They're not going to help the company scale completely, right? They need to know where else, who are other potential customers out there? And that's what's being, not being answered. That's not the only reason Valley of Death exists, but that's one of the big ones, right? We don't know where else other use cases are, so we could be talking to them and the companies could be going. What's your plan or what's the public spend forums plan to really get this information out there? Obviously talking to folks like myself, I appreciate it. Are you going to try to get to agencies with this, get to companies with this? Is there a, is there a Raj Sharma tour going on, you know, 2023, <laughs> SBIR to the end? <laughs> what, what's the plan to kind of really uh, push out this information more broadly? This free report is available to anyone online. And so you can go to a uh, public spend forum site or you can go to my LinkedIn and get it from there. But what we are doing is uh, there's a one, we have a much more detailed report and a dashboard to our platform that people can sign up for. So that's how we want to, and we're keeping, you know, our pricing very low just so we want to democratize this information as much as possible, but it is, we've spent five years building these data sets. So there is a huge amount of investment behind it, but also then we are already in deep discussions with a number of agencies to help them and with uh, really senior leaders and political leaders uh, on how this information is supporting some of the uh, administration's goals, et cetera. Raja, I've kept you probably longer than I thought I would because this was really interesting. So uh, let me first thank my guest. Raj Sharma is the president and CEO of the Public Spend Forum. Raj, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Jason. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 